My name is Stuart Watson, and I have this one little podcast that goes out into the world. And um, it's what I have to talk to you with. I can talk to the whole world from my closet, where I am right now, and that's the miracle of podcasting. And so right now, at this particular moment in history, um, there's a lot going on, but I feel compelled to exert my voice, my one little voice at something. Um, yesterday, I worked the polls as an election worker, not for a party or a candidate. It meant I helped people vote, 370 people in my little precinct at the little elementary school where my kids went to school. And most of my fellow uh, election workers at the poll were black. And I'm an old white man, a boomer. And I'm here to say that doesn't bother me in the least. I don't, I feel kind of good about it. Uh, I feel hopeful about it. It feels like something positive. I am not a person who's going to rant and rail about feeling displaced, replaced, threatened. I don't think there's any scarcity. I think we've got blue skies as long as we work together. But there's some terribly fearful, hateful, um, repugnant, you know, just just nauseating kind of movements going on. And they're terribly popular. And they surround um, trying to convince white people that they're under siege. And I've heard my friends voice these kinds of things. And I just want to say that, um, you know, I love working with Dawn. She's the chief judge, woman of color. We laugh. We enjoy sharing our stories together. And I take orders from her. You know, I don't know what I'm doing. She knows what she's doing for the most part. And, um, uh, but I just see it as a terrific threat. And so the last few weeks we have heard from a woman uh, who describes herself as a Jewish-American redneck. We heard from a woman who uh, is Muslim, whose parents are Pakistani immigrants in Houston, Texas, who went to Harvard. So we've heard from a Jewish woman, a Muslim woman. It seems only fitting to round out week three that we hear from a Christian woman. Um, but she's not an American. She's a South African, which is so much to the better because she speaks to what happened in her country during tr truth and reconciliation. And I tell her at one point, we haven't had truth in the United States of America, so how are we supposed to have reconciliation? You know, we have to sit down and arrive at the ugly truth of slavery and what it means to this day until we're going to, unless and until we're going to have a reconciliation uh, amongst various races. And so she's really instructive being a person who is not from the United States, but comes here as a Christian missionary. Think about that for a second. Um, and she is not black. She uh, was Afrikaans. So um, it's really instructive to hear from a person who is not from the United States about what happened with Nelson Mandela. What happened? What did she live through? And how was their peaceful transition for the most part? You know, sure, the focus is on the violence, but it was by and large, there was not a war. 
And it was the peaceful transition. God help the United States of America to achieve the peaceful transition uh, to a nation which is no longer majority white. God help the United States of America. Here's the show. So God cannot stand sin, and sin separated man from God because all of us are born into sin. What is the sound of one man listening? This is Man Listening, a fresh podcast featuring the stories of strong women who bounce back. Man Listening, because every woman deserves to be heard. Hi there, I'm Stuart Watson. This is my podcast, Man Listening. This week's guest, Marie Bailey, is a South African national who is coming to Charlotte, North Carolina as a missionary, Um, (laughs) as a Christian missionary. Very interesting. Uh, She and her husband are ministers at City Church in Charlotte, and I met her through my friend Chris Elliott, who was kind enough to introduce us, and she was kind enough to meet with me on a park bench out at Veterans Park off Central Ave., Uh, where it's very loud in the background, a lot of construction, helicopters, kids playing, all kind of stuff, Uh, wind blowing, so forgive the audio, but it's real, it's real, two people sitting on a park bench, learned so much, Um, respect her, value her perspective, and appreciate her time, Marie Bailey. Where were you born? Oh, I was born in Clarkstall in South Africa. I don't know what part of the country that's. That is kind of central, central South Africa. It's it's flat mining community, and uh, so it's a small town. And by small, you mean like how many people? Maybe fifty thousand people inside the town. I was born in a hospital. My dad was working on the mine, and my mom was just tending to us at home. What kind of mine? Uh, gold mines. Wow. And what did he do there? My dad was, um, he he worked underground and um, he was a boiler maker um, underground. So, um, and he also, he he helped um, make the shafts. So they would blow open the shafts and I'm not very proficient with the, you know, how they did it, but he worked far underground. But when you get down underground, as we know from coal miners, it's it can be dangerous. There can yes, be collapses, yes, there yes. can be gases, yes. people can die. Mm-hmm. Um, were you and the family worried about his safety at all? Oh, never. I, was, I didn't even, I think, realize the dangers. And, um, and I don't think he was ever worried. He was very comfortable with where he worked. He enjoyed it. Um, and he worked, he worked hard. I think my perception of mine workers are that they work very hard and they're very tough and resilient. And my dad did a lot of um, safety work in, in his latter, latter part of his career. He did safety training. So um, he, would, he worked in um, other parts of the world and he would go and help them write safety manuals. And then he would go underground with them and you know, demonstrate kind of the safety procedures. And yeah, so he enjoyed that very much. And I think he was very good at that. In America, we don't think about where my gold band, my wedding band comes from. 
Do you have any gold that came from your father's mind? I think my dad has some rocks that he's brought out, yes, that, that, um, where you can see the ore, the ore in the, in the rocks. What is your sort of thought or relationship to gold? When you hear about gold, what do you think? Do you have a generally positive kinds of a thing? Like you have gold loop earrings, yes. small loops. Yes. Um, how do you feel about gold? Yes, I have a, a very, I have a positive perception about it. Um, I think that um, it's wonderful that God has put all these minerals in the earth for us to find and to, and um, I really admire the, you know, the guys that work hard to take out the gold and the diamonds. And um, I think it's, it's, you know, people, people work very hard, but um, what I wanted to, I wanted to tell you something that, um, oh yes, gold, when it comes to money, money devaluates, right? But gold does not. It's, they, you know, they keep gold in the reserve banks and um, the gold prices just rise. And it is a universal standard, yes. even more than diamonds. Oh, yes. And has been a universal yes, standard. Yes, definitely. And it has been an international medium of exchange. Definitely, definitely. Yes, so I think my dad has done well to, yeah, to instill in us that love for, love for hard work and love for being productive. And he, he still does that. Um, he still works there? He does not work with, with mining anymore. He, he has like a, he just loves his garden at the moment. He's retired. My family is still in South Africa and Mark's family, my husband's family is also still in South Africa. So we don't have family in the US. Yes, my, my sisters stay close to each other and my dad stays a few hours north, north in South Africa. Had you ever been to the U.S. before you all immigrated? So we haven't, if we have not immigrated yet. We, we, we're here on B1, B2 visas and in the process of asking for um, R1, R2 visas. Um, but we have been coming to the U.S. since 2013. My husband and I are part of an organization called NCMI, New Covenant Ministries International. And so we're part of a team that ministers, goes to local churches all over the world. We've had the privilege to travel to a lot of different continents. And we've been coming to um, America since 2013. And um, yeah, so I think I've been here like, Eight, eight times in different states and really love, have a, I love America and I love the little bit that I've seen of America. And New Covenant Ministries, is it affiliated with one particular um, denomination? Yes, so New Covenant Ministries International is just a team that of Ephesians 4 gifts uh, that ministers and assists churches relationally. So it's a very a relational movement and it only has a name because it has to be registered somewhere and have a bank account somewhere uh, so it's it's very hard to explain um, it, it works with anybody that wants to have relationship with with them so any church that would like to have assistance and that we 
maybe befriend, maybe befriend a pastor and they would want some help and we would go in and build relationship and assist the church best we can with the gifts that we have and then we can also involve our, the, you know, the connections that we have if the church is open for that. And did, did you grow up, what church did you grow up going to? I grew up Dutch Reformed, I'm actually Afrikaans, grew up uh, Afrikaans, had English family and so I grew up Dutch Reformed. It's, um, it's like, um, I'm trying to think, maybe a little bit like Methodist and then in my, in my university years I joined a Methodist church and that's where I met my husband and then we've been part of an AFM church, Apostolic Faith Mission and then we, we joined kind of this movement. Um, um, when you went to church or Sunday school as, as a girl, um, what were your impressions? What, did you like the church that you went to? Did you consider, a lot of little kids consider it drudgery. <laughs> <laughs> I had this deep know in my heart that there must be something more to life and that the just believed that there is a God and that he's good and that he has a good plan and um, so I dragged my sisters to church <laughs> and because I just felt like uh, sometimes our home was troubled when we grew like growing up and I just had the sense that you know God can make it better you know and, and um, so I think I had a, a positive outlook on life I enjoyed charismatic church more because I think I'm a little bit more charismatic maybe in in nature and expression and so I didn't grow up in a charismatic church um, but I I was exposed a little bit to the charismatic so I think in that sense maybe church was a little bit difficult so I enjoyed the going to youth and and being taught I'm a typical girl I like learning you know so I think I, I think church, I, I felt like church was the one place that I could go to there that I was, that I felt safe and I felt it was a, a, an environment where I have good exposure and good mentorship and yes. When you say troubled, what did that look like? My, my parents drank a lot when I grew up. So, um, you, you know, alcoholism, I'm a, I'm a psychologist by training. And so the little bit that I understand of, of alcoholism is that it's very hard for a family to call, it's hard for me to say my, my, my dad was an alcoholic or my mom was an alcoholic, but I think they struggled with it. And, um, and so they had a troubled, you know, troubled marriage and sometimes it would get violent. And yeah, my response was just, I kind of ran away. I just, I was never at home. I became quite independent and driven by a performance, yeah, very performance driven. And I try, I think I tried to just be the, the one that, you know, that, that brings some stability and that brings some, yeah, faith into the home. And Did it help? Did they get sober? Well, Yes, I think it took me a very long time. Like, I studied psychology, you know, trying to fix myself and them. The hard reality is that uh, my, my mom um, ended up um, 
you know, committing her life to the Lord and and um, she did end up, you know, becoming sober. Uh, but I think my mom, my mom passed away last year oh, uh, of a heart I'm attack. Sorry. Thank you. Um, but I think she did end up at the end of her life, you know, kind of struggling again and being like, yeah, uh, with it. I, I don't know the journey, but I think it's a lifelong struggle, you know. My dad, I think, um, you know, I, I don't want to dishonor my dad, but right. I think I think he struggled more um, when he was younger, and I think I think he struggled is better now. Um, yes, yeah, so yeah, so that's a that's a subject very dear to my heart. Yeah, it's hard. I do believe that our best hope is in community. You'll be able to tell me in a better way, but. I don't think you can do it alone. I think we need that community and accountability and just consistent discipline. So how old were you when you left home? So I left home at 18 mm -hmm. and I, my parents were both bankrupt. And so, you know, they, they stayed together? Uh, no, they, they got divorced when mm -hmm. I was uh, 17 years old. And, um, and then I was just convinced that I needed to go study and I needed to become a psychologist. And my mom assisted me and it was just the greatest miracle. In my first year, I, I received two bursaries. The one bursary was uh, for special needs, you know, um, underprivileged. What is that? Uh, a bursary, yes. uh, a grant. Like oh, a grant. I get you. Yes, okay. Yes. So I got a special grant that would become, uh, it was a loan, but it would become... Uh, uh, you know, a grant, uh, the better I performed, and uh, then I had um, a loan. And in the second year, they said to me, "How did you get that right? Because we don't do that." And my mom so signed the paperwork, and, and my mom didn't have a job, <laughs> and my mom was bankrupt, but she signed the paperwork. So, so it was a wonderful miracle, just the way I believe that God paid for my my university tuition. I know that in this country it's very expensive to study. So I studied for, um, I did a three-year degree and honours and then a two years master's. And at the end of my studies, um, my studies uh, was paid off. I saved some money. My dad helped me save some money. And that money was enough to pay off the little bit of loan that I had. And so, yes, it was really a great miracle. So you graduated with no student debt? No student debt. It's That's such a blessing. It's a miracle. It's honestly, a, I've, I was part of this Methodist church that I told you about. And the one year, so every year at the beginning of the year, it was this, this problem of where is my money going to come from to pay the upfront deposit? And, and then I would go to the financial director's office and I would have to please and explain that, you know, can they please, you know, grant me the, the money that my, my grant is, but that, can they grant it up front so that the deposit can get paid? And I hated doing that. But every year that happened and um, this year I just didn't have money for books. And one day I came, got to church and the, the pastor gave me a check and he said somebody gave you this and it was money for books and um, so so I have many stories of how God just provided in those years for me 
to just you know clothing people would take me and buy me clothing and it wasn't like I ever asked or it wasn't like I ever looked like I needed anything but you know the the Lord just provided and um, and I think that now that I'm in the position to to be a blessing to others it's it's a great pleasure for me to give um, it's one of the greatest joys is to be able to give because I know how it feels to receive. Yeah. yeah. Um, psychology is uh, science. It's a secular. Um, but you practice in a ministry which is religion, which is faith and belief. So how do you merge the two? Mm. Yes, so psychology is a very wide field of science and there's very varied opinions about things like uh, so um, I think I was privileged to be trained um, in, uh, in an environment where they taught us eclectic so they taught us a little bit of all the views um, they taught us a little bit of Freud a little bit of Gestalt and all the different techniques the NLT young uh, they taught us young Yes, so they taught us lots of the, all the different techniques and then they left it up to, to you as a person to find out how are you going to combine that with who you are and your own personality. And so I found that a lot of truths, universal truths, are, are also truths that, that kind of doesn't go against my faith. Um, it's like that forgiveness is a, is a, is a very universal, um, agreed upon in the psychological circles, you know, faith is important, hope is really important. If there's, if there's no hope in an area, it shows that there's a problem there. Um, and then um, joy and thankfulness is also quite a universal... Gratitude. Uh, yes, gratitude, that's beautiful, gratitude. And um, so I think over the years, I've been, I've been practicing, I've been privileged to work with people for, for 20 years um, in, in, in psychology and also in ministry. And so it's hard to explain how you do it. Uh, you, uh, you know, it's that thing and in the beginning, you, you know what you don't know, you know, or you don't even know what you don't know in the beginning when you just start your profession. And uh, you think that you know a lot and then you realize, whoa, I don't know anything. <laughs> but then later on, you start, you start, you, you don't know anymore what you know. So you just do, you just apply. So I have a great passion for personality. So I enjoy the science on personality and I love the science on the, the, how the, our bodies operate with our minds um, and even how um, in psychology, it's it's widely accepted now that that psychologists should ask their patients and clients about what is your spirituality, what is your faith, because it is so intertwined with who you are, and um, so that holistic view of a person. Um, so I, I love those parts of the science, and I love with the new. Um, research that they're doing into neuroplasticity and how our brains have the ability to change and to to become healthy uh, just by what we what we put in there and how we breathe and what we eat 
So, yes. And I, what we watch on TV. What, oh, what we, <laughs> yes, what we expose ourselves to, definitely. definitely. And on that screen, oh, what we scroll through hour after hour. Definitely. And how science is even showing the effect of social media that this is the most lonely generation, uh, even though people are widely connected more than ever before. They're more, more lonely um, because there's not real community, right? And so you arrived here when? Right in the middle of COVID, end of COVID? Uh, we, we have been here since February, 2nd of February, so not for a long time, 10 weeks. Okay, so sort of as we were coming out, out of, of COVID. Mm. And so we're only now seeing, you know, the effect, you know, like it was easy to measure the effect of COVID itself the disease itself, um, or the virus, it was, in my view, masking um, the terrible crisis, really, of the opposite of hope, which is mm. feeling despair. And it's most I don't know, wounding to me to see it among young people. Um, people who, they don't trust getting in marriages or having children or anything, like they don't see the point of going on themselves, let alone perpetuating, you know, the human species. They see the human species as a disease and a problem, not as a blessing. So. How do you and your husband and your kids as ministers come into a foreign culture and like speak into that? What is the message you bring? Yes, I do think it's a message of hope. Um, we really feel called as a family and especially my husband and I, we feel feel called to bring freedom, uh, the message that there, there is freedom, freedom for you to just be who you are um, in a healthy way, uh, in a way that's a building for you and to live out your full potential in, in, the God, in your God-given makeup um, and, and to have hope and joy, hope and joy and peace. Those are the things that, that people are really yearning for and desiring and that there are possibilities that, that, you know, that there is still hope. There is still hope in this world. I think Jesus was a, a man of, of hope. He was a man who mixed with all sorts of people. He mixed with the people that was hated in, in his own community. He mixed with um, Samaritans. He, he, he spoke to women when it was unheard of and you know he spoke to a Samaritan woman and he ministered to her. Um, he, he, they call, he said himself that, that people call him a wine bibber because he would, he would mix with called him a what? A wine bibber. A, a, dr a person who drinks too much wine. Oh, like um, a drunk. Yes, because he, he wasn't scared to hang around uh, drunk people. He wasn't scared to touch lepers. He, he, he had a great compassion. Jesus was a man of compassion and he was a man who didn't think himself too good to mix with anybody. 
and um, so he violated taboos is what you're oh, saying yes he definitely did he just he, smashed them he he healed people on the sabbath he um, he mixed with people that he wasn't supposed to be mixing with and um like race mixing oh yes yeah, yeah. All, all sorts of mixing he, he did it all and he um he went into the temple and he he chased them out because they the people were selling the the sacrifices that were supposed to be made the doves and the uh, in those days they still sacrificed and, and they they were making it a business um, instead of people bringing their own sacrifices and he just turned the tables around and he chased the people out and um, I think the words of Jesus are you are asking what did Jesus say Jesus said I am the way and the truth and the life and and um, you know no one can come to the Father except through me what did that mean and that meant that man was separated from the Father. In those days, only the, the only one who could go into the presence of God as, as they knew it was the high priest, and that was once a year. And if he was unclean, he would be dead. Uh, he would have to purify himself. And so, so, so God cannot stand sin. And sin separated man from God because all of us are born into sin. So how do you model or convey the gospel if there were no words or, mm. or, or symbols? Yes. I, I, I can only speak to how I see it. Um, I cannot generalize for others, but I really do believe that, that family is a very beautiful picture of the gospel. During the time of Nelson Mandela coming to power, what did you see personally and what did you see in the church mm -hmm. in terms of the ability for blacks, whites, in your country they're, they're also called coloreds or like mixed race yes. people to come together yeah. under, under the name of Jesus mm. um, as opposed to in U.S., the, say MLK said 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in America. So what was your experience? So I, I now realize that I was very, very privileged to be able to experience that. When, when I was in 94, 95, um, I was um, about eight, 18 years old. And so um, it was a scary time in South Africa. And, and when, when Mandela was released, uh, I grew up in a, in a family that maybe struggled with racism. And it was in the time where, uh, you know, there wasn't, there, there was, they started to, the schools started to have a little bit of, of integration. And a lot of people were very fearful. A lot of white Afrikaans, the, how I grew up, the people I knew were very fearful, fearful that, that um, because um, in South Africa uh, the, the black uh, African population is, is the majority of the population and, and so the white farmers and they were very scared that they were just going to be killed. And um, but then experiencing 
the racial uh, you know reconciliation committee and all of that um, I didn't have opinions about it. Um, I looked from the outside, but I grew up in a generation at, at university and maybe in a community where there was a desire for unity. There was a desire amidst. I had I had friends from from different cultures, and I enjoyed it very much. And, and, and amongst us, I think that generation grew up saying, "We want to take hands. We want to we want to be in unity." We, we don't we want to forgive the past and and I'm so grateful for the ra racial reconciliation um, you know we've been I heard the testimonies of, of somebody in our own community that was part of the bombings um, a white man that was part of the bombings and his testimony of saying sorry to the family members and the forgiveness that was able to take place um, it was really fantastic and and um, so I think I am so proud um, to have been a South African, to be part of the Rainbow Nation. And my experience, I know that others might have experienced it differently, but my experience was um, definitely one that, that there was a lot of reconciliation. And in the past uh, 12 years um, in South Africa, I, um, I was in a more rural, rural community where there was maybe still a, a lot of racism, but the the culture in the, the city where I lived was, it was a 200,000 people community and there was, it was um, maybe 80, 20 um, white black. Uh, and then, so it was white majority? Uh, it was white majority inside the city, but people lived on the outside of the city, about a million or more people outside the city that would work inside the city. Mostly? Mostly uh, black people. Mm -hmm. And then over the past um, eight years, how the community has been integrated and people live, every culture, race and tongue, living amongst each other in, in, in almost every neighborhood. And even in the local church that I had the privilege of being part of, where there was beautiful reconciliation and beautiful um, testimonies of, of people, you know, coming in being very racist. And their family saying to them, you are not going to want to come to this local church because you're going to sit next to somebody that's different from you. And how I believe God worked in their hearts and we never had to address it from the front. We never, we never explicitly taught into it, uh, but we had those one-on-one -on -one conversations with people that struggled and that wanted to be part of the community. And we had a beautiful mix of, of, of different cultures. The one story I wanted to tell you when you were saying to me is that um, during the, the, there was uh, looting in South Africa. I don't know if you saw it in the news about, it, it was about a year and a half ago, that people just went in and they just looted shopping malls. So they burned down shopping malls and just stole everything from the stores. And how at the one big shopping mall, um, people from all different races and, and uh, uh, um, uh, cultures took hands and made a human chain around the shopping mall and they were just standing together and just and just saying well you're gonna have to come through us if you want to burn down the shopping mall and how um, even in the past few years um, thousands of Christians came together I think I don't want to lie to you but I think it was a million Christians that came together to pray 
and to just in 95 it was the same the church stood together and prayed and said god we need you in our country is there an appreciation do you think of the history of these various churches like you refer to your church as dutch reformed the dutch were colonials they were colonizers and so that identifies a church with a nation not just a culture but a nation so um, when nations or cultures are in collision how do you bridge the divide um, when the very name of the of the colonizer is attached to the Christian church mm. I think that is very hard and um, it, it, we um, we were no longer part of that um, denomination um, so I do think that they are fighting really real battles and that w racial integration is very hard in in that in those scenarios it is a reality um, I think um, you know you almost sometimes have to then move away from that and and you know be yeah in our country evangelical or at least those who are quote unquote in the forefront of the evangelical political movement largely white not that is not to say that there are not black evangelicals there are but in the political movement, it is mostly white. What do you think Jesus would make of the adoption of his name as part of a particular political, not only a party, but kind of a substrain of a party? I've, I might get myself into trouble speaking. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, um, I'm not. I'm not trying to politics, bait you. <laughs> politics are like, that's, uh, I'm not very good at politics. I'm too, too honest and too, <laughs> too um, sincere. I you don't, don't know. You don't think Jesus would call upon you to be honest and uh, sincere? Oh, yes, he would. Uh, I think Jesus would have, uh, I think Jesus would have, maybe have strong opinions. Yes, I think Jesus Jesus loves every every person, and Jesus has room in his heart for every temperament. Um, and we were speaking about what personality would Jesus be. I, I believe Jesus is a equal was an equal D.I.S.C. Jesus, he was able to with, with strong people. He was able to meet them where they were at and be strong in a loving way with them and with those that are, you know, very. Uh, relational he was able to be very relational and meet them where they were at and those that were quiet uh, like the doubting Thomas he was able to meet him so I really believe that Jesus uh, Jesus could meet every person where they at and relate to every person and I, I'm really grateful that um, in South Africa our environment was not as political. I do think that we need to separate church and state and, and that we, um, there, are, there are things that are good, uh, you know, we should, we should have human rights, we should have free speech, we should, um, but we should also have, you know, other values. So yes, I cannot speak much into politics, but um, 
I think we can be in one church and there can be Republicans and Democrats in one church. Um, and I feel compelled be. to note that it was the leveraging of the political powers that be that got rid of Jesus. Yes. <laughs> you know, that it was the those who knew how to push the, yes. the right letter yes. levers and, yes. and appealed and pulled the right strings and yes. be in the right good old boys network that led to his, his demise. Exactly. Yes. Um, so a person not unfamiliar with the consequences of extremism. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, and yeah, extremism is, I think the balance is always important. Yes. Yes, and, but it's so hard to, to have a balance for us as humans, I think. Right. That's why I believe in team. I really believe that ma man is not an island. Um, if, if we want to, if we, like the African proverb says, if you want to go far, go alone, if you want to go fast, Go alone, but if you want to go far, go together. Um, and I think any any healthy family, any healthy individual, any healthy organisation needs to be a team of people with uh, that that not uh, that doesn't all have the same gifts. But I wanted to ask you about the role of women. How do you? Um, as a, an intellectual, a person who has an advanced degree, and a person who is herself a powerful woman, respond to the criticism that the church is inherently patriarchal, that is, it is a male institution from, from the get-go. <laughs> mm. So how do you find freedom and power as a woman in an institution dominated for millennia by men? Yes, that's one of those one of those <laughs> those questions again. Um, I it, it is a hard one, and, and growing up in a in an environment where I didn't trust authority, it made it particularly difficult for me as a person um, because I didn't feel like um, the author authority figures in my life was uh, protecting me or making me safe. So I distrusted authority, and um, so that made it made it hard. Um, as a, as a strong woman that that did feel called to to speak and maybe be upfront sometimes uh, I do I do think that uh, if you all of us that wants to be an authority Jesus taught so well he said you know um, the Bible teaches that all authority is from God um, so he institutes even even we need to respect all authority and so I think I I respect the authority that is in place and um, you know the Bible also says that that um, your gift makes room for you and that promotion doesn't come from the east or the north or the west but it, it comes from the Lord and so uh, I think for me I, tr I, I try to respect the authority that's in place over me in the local church and I respect my husband as my authority and and I trust God to work in their hearts um, to make room for, for my gift and, and God has been really faithful in that that um, you know that if, if I get room from if I know my husband is happy like my husband is happy for me to be here to talk to you if I know my husband um, is releasing me to, to play my part in the local church to, to lead a ministry um, to oversee groups then 
I try to have the confidence to just do my best. And, and where I do see inequality, and I know that there is, a lot of, there is a lot of that, and there is a lot of discrimination still, we've, we've grown, we've made leaps and bounds. Um, but I, then I do know that I, I just trust in the Lord. Um, and, you know, He has done it. He has changed my husband's heart where there's been, where I felt this is a little bit unfair, you know. Um, <laughs> do you speak up? I, I struggle to keep quiet, sadly. So I wish I could keep quiet more and just trust. I don't the know Lord why that's more. sad. <laughs> um, I, I do. I do speak up. Um, I have very strong opinions about things, and, and it makes it makes it hard for my husband sometimes. I don't. I don't think men um, husbands. I think husbands find it hard to hear what they do, what they're doing wrong, or what is wrong from their wives. It's not. It's not nice for them. But my husband is my hero, and but I do speak up. I do speak up, and I, I sadly speak step on his toes sometimes. Uh, but but he's gracious. He goes and thinks about it, and I've learned to just say, "This is how I think about it. This is what I see." Even if I have the privilege of being part of a team that that leads, um, I I will speak my opinion, and then I will know that that. Now I've done, if I feel that this is the way that we should go and it's opposite to what everybody thinks, um, that has happened. Uh, we, once we had to make a decision about buying a coffee shop and um, everybody was for it and I was the only one saying, I don't think this is a good idea. And we ended up buying the coffee shop. But two years later, it, it, it bit us, it bit us. So I think then time... Did you say bit. I was right? <laughs> I bit my tongue and I didn't. I didn't say I was right. Did he say you were right? Uh, what, what actually happened was that there was, you know, a pattern of occurrences then. And, and then I would say, I don't think, I think it's wise for you to hear what I'm saying because I was right here and I was right here. Um, but I think time is a good teacher. Time is a very good teacher and um, yeah, the, I, I really do believe that um, John Bevere teaches so well on, uh, on, on God being the avenger and God bringing justice and God making a way. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who can that? be against us? And I've really seen that. How did you arrive at the decision to leave South Africa? You have family there, it's home. The bigger question that I hear people in recovery ask all the time is, how do I know the difference between my will and God's will? Mm. Yes, I love what Nicky Gumbel teaches. He, he, uh, you know, he's one of the uh, starters of the Alpha Course. And um, he, he speaks about the fact that we listen to the Spirit of the Lord. And the Bible teaches this as well, that if we can have the peace of God, you know that sometimes you have a peace about a decision that you don't understand, that's a good indication uh, that you're making a, a good decision. So peace, and then um, I like to go and see, I like to journal, so I like to write down the things that I may be sensing God saying, or scriptures that I receive, and often there'll be patterns uh, for, for my own life and for what I sense for the future, and so if something fits into what I have sensed as a pattern before um, and that's what we experienced. We came to America many times and I would just have this sense in my heart that I have such a deep compassion for this nation, that I would love the people. Afrikaans people um, 
you know, can be very bossy and <laughs> straight and, you know, um, they're pioneers and they, they're very resilient. And that's not always well received. Tough. Tough. Not always well received um, in America. You just have to be a little bit more, you know, uh, not pushy, but allow other people to lead with you, you know, Easy uh, domineering. Yes. You know, I wouldn't think that I would, that we would, I would typically be received. My husband is, is more easy, does it? And, and he's, he's, you know, has got, got a very good skill with people and helping people, you know, taking people from where they are at into, you know, what maybe what he, he thinks not God pushy. has. Not pushy. He's not pushy at all. He's very gentle and kind and, so, um, but I had just had this compassion and this love and I, we would land in Denver, Colorado and I would just have, I would just be tearful um, and we would land in Texas and I would just, just, you know, you just have that sense in your heart and I, so I think circumstances can often also be a good indicator and a word of the Lord, scriptures and community. What does, what does the people in my life think about this, my mentors? Uh, we've the privilege of having really great mentors in our life and um, so that is how we ended up in the US is that over the period of many five years uh, we've started to to see this pattern of we really sense that we should be here and then we kind of put it to rest we, we want we, we we've planted two churches uh, one on and um, in, in team and so we're very passionate about seeing churches plant in every community where people can just access easily a local church and have that community and access Jesus. And so we decided we want to go where there's the biggest population and the least discipleship. So we're going to go to Asia. And, and we were set on going to Asia. We spoke to the kids, our children about it. They, our first community, and they were like, no way, we're not doing that. And, um, and then um, a friend of ours had a, a dream. And um, she's, she's somebody that has spoke, has ministered in local churches and she would, she would prophesy, she would be able to uh, have a sense of something that would happen in the future and those things would actually come true. And so she had a dream and she saw us in Texas and she said, Go and, go and pray about it, you guys are big. You need to hear God for yourselves. And so that started us on the journey back to, wow, maybe it's not Asia, maybe it is. And then my husband got the scripture from the Bible where um, Paul says uh, he, he wanted to go into um, Asia, he wanted to go into East Asia, and God stopped, prevented him. And then he tried to go into Bithynia, which was Texas for us, and God prevented him. And then there was a Macedonian call in the middle of the night, which was uh, North Carolina. And um, yes, yeah, so that's scripture my husband got. And I also um, had scriptures and my children had convictions. And every single one of our mentors that we've spoken to, um, nobody said to us, we think you, sh you guys. And we were leading, we were leading a big local church. We had multiple properties. It, I thought it was impossible for God to uproot us from that scenario to bring us here. Um, but everything just fell into place. God did it. Our property sold. We, we found a leader for the local church that we were leading. And all our pastoral team that was leading with us were 
happy. The church was happy. They were sad to let us go, but they, they were happy. And um, yes, yeah, so I think how to know, you need to journey. You need to make it a journey to know. Um, and, and then sometimes you just need to step out in faith. And make a, For us, it was a calculated risk. If, if we didn't hear God right, then we we're willing to go back home and hear God again. Um, and we as a family, we just felt we have faith for that. So, um, but we're hoping that we did hear God right. And well, uh, welcome to Charlotte. Thank you, thank you, Stuart, and I'm thank glad, you for the. I'm glad you're here. Thank you uh, for your for, for your compassionate listening. I really <laughs> appreciated that today. Well, I hope I've done that. <laughs> Um, if we get struck by lightning right today, and all that survives is this little piece of audio, um, what is your legacy? Wow. I'm, I'm hoping that, that there'll be fourth generation legacy. I'm hoping that, that the, the little bit of, of Jesus that I can be spreading around will be spread to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation um, I I was in a generation where there was divorce my, my, my family on my father's side all his siblings but one got divorced on my mother's side um, all her siblings got divorced and um, and 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 for for me I want to be the first generation that 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 can see families through and that can experience uh, pass on love and hope there was you know alcoholism in in my family and it stops yeah um, and then you know for the blessing to continue into into the generations for the work that that the lord is putting on our hearts not to stop with us you know uh, but for his church to continue and to for his his glory to fill the earth like he promises you know glory fills the earth as the waters cover the sea so yes <laughs> god bless you thank you god bless you too it's great meeting you so great to great to have spent time with you i really have, yeah i appreciate it very much thanks so much it's an enriching enriching experience good i'm glad thank you marie I really learned a lot. I appreciate your time and I uh, value your service. If you want to meet Marie and her husband, they are at City Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Thanks, guys. Man Listening is a production of Unmediated LLC in cooperation with the Queen City Podcast Network and Balto Creative Media. Allison Andrews at Andrews Creative and Rachel Clapp Miller are developmental producers. Sally Higgins at Higgins and Owens tries to keep us legal. Our music is A Day at the Park by the group Pictures of the Floating World. Your announcer is Catherine Smith. That's me. Please go to our Patreon page. You'll find us at patreon.com. Look for Man Listening, one word, no spaces. We hope you'll join us by becoming a member. A small investment can raise up the conversation. If you want exclusive member merch, like a t-shirt, we can arrange that too. I gotta be honest, sometimes I just feel like giving up. It takes a lot to uh, put into this podcast over the years. And a woman stopped me after meeting the other day and just said that her mother had died a couple of months before and she enjoyed the podcast and then she gave me a hug. 
and that means the world. Thank you for your support, however you give it. It's why I do it. Don't forget to support us at Patreon. We believe one voice can change the conversation. Thanks.